what's up guys welcome to another episode of high burst again i'm your host jerry d again with my brother yet again big pat what's going on everybody you know all you got to chop it up about everything hornets related man we're back on this thing so we're just gonna jump right into things like how we usually do so the hornets are recently been on a five game winning streak in the middle of the month of march which they really needed to climb up climb up from the basement of the eastern conference to try to get for that play-in seed or even a playoff seed if it's possible but uh right now they're currently sitting at the ninth spot in the east in front of the atlanta hawks who have been on their tail all season long and directly behind the brooklyn nets but our first order of business is to directly attack this win streak like what changed for them after the all-star break for them to go seven and two i believe in the month of march well i mean i would say probably uh the coach harping on them every day honestly um I mean, they were in a rut. They, you know, they had to start, you know, playing uh, with, a, you know, executing more, you know, um, then being able to, you know, just play through those bad games and, you know, pick up some energy. So I guess they, you know, that be, them being a, a young team, they were going through the dog days of the season and they weren't as focused as they were supposed to probably. So they got a few uh, good wins from bad teams and then they just you know started trying to carry that momentum over so hopefully they'll keep you know they'll keep it up but I don't think it was that much of a you know something big that needed to change I think it was just you know executing better and you know letting the season progress and then just getting better every day yeah I mean we're in the same boat I mean the uh, they beat the Pelicans twice so those are like two must-win games for them like plus the one of the times they played them they didn't have CJ McCollum or Brandon Ingram. The second time they played him, they had CJ, but it was at home. They did a great job just making a good player uncomfortable in the closing seconds of that game so he couldn't even get off a shot to even tie the game up. Then they also beat the Dallas Mavericks, who are one of the other hottest teams in the league right up there with the Boston Celtics in this month of March, having a, like, a ridiculous record just like the Celtics have had. So, but nah, we're, we're in agreement though. Like, uh, James Rego, everybody was talking trash about him earlier in the season for – uh, fumble in the bag essentially for just coming up short in a lot of big time games or failing to beat teams like the Pistons or mm-hmm. OKC Thunder and stuff like that. People people have been ratting on JB. So this is really like a punch in the face for everybody that thinks he should be fired. It's a young team. Things like this happen even to like the more skilled or championship contenders, people that we consider like uh like the Warriors went two and six at one point without Draymond in the lineup. But that's not talked about like that, you know, or even uh, Memphis was on a slide a little bit when John Morant first got reinserted back into the lineup early in the season. People are thinking Jaws the problem. Like the NBA is a gauntlet and it's just like how a game is a game of runs. The season is a game of runs, too. You're going to run hot. You're going to run cold. You're going to lose some games. You're going to win some games. But if you weather the storm, you can experience moments like this. We actually win five straight, which is like, I think, the longest winning streak that they've had so far. Hmm. in this season but better late than never oh, yeah. as the playoffs are coming so it's a huge deal next the order of business rate the it signing and let's talk about his impact a little bit okay i'll give it a i'll give it a b b plus because you see scoring pretty well coming off the bench for him so that's definitely you know that's definitely a plus and especially with them not having hayward so that's a, another veteran guy that they were able to plug in and you know, get a uh, get efficient scoring from get a burst off of the bench from, um, yeah, it's just it's just uh, just a quality veteran piece. We know, you know, we know he's better than a lot of people that put on a jersey 
every you know every every game every day or whatever so uh but you know for some reason or the other he it's hard for him to get to stay in the league but there's a lot of guys we can name like that but anyways um yeah it's a great a great piece a, uh, you know a great piece for them so far um I don't you know know how long he's going to be there but while he's there he's going to provide good scoring for him like he does on just about every team he does right I mean again I I'll, I'll think I'll give it an A uh, primarily just because I think coming in with that second unit, like I don't know if teams were thinking he had an ego that he felt like he should be a starter on some teams or whatever. Cause like he had stints with the Pelicans this season, the Dallas Mavericks this mm-hmm. season and the Lakers. And like, I don't know what any of those organizations were thinking whenever they signed him, if he wanted to be a starter or whatever, but it just won a good situation. But here he comes into Charlotte with a guy that's a franchise point guard in LaMelo Ball where he knows he's not going to get playing time or playing time than the star or even one of his former uh, mentees and Terry Rozier that when they played together in Boston. Mm-hmm. So he knows he's not going to get a lot of PT in with the starting starting lineup, but he comes off the bench and just does his job. Mm-hmm. And he had two 10 days and now they go in and lock him in because why he was available in the month of March when they went seven and two is when they signed it they signed them, yep. <laughs> so like you know I, I give it an a because it's instantly trans like translated to winning yeah true as soon as he got to, i think he's averaging 10 points off the bench in in that nine game span which is like wow you know like you can still play but you know for that's like a casual nba fan that might think that if everybody there really knew it who it was and finishing top three in mvp voting a couple years back he never lost a step he never really you he know just hurt yeah, exactly. Never forgot how to play the game of basketball. He's he's one of the best scorers in the league when he's fully healthy, when he actually has the touches. That's one of the most dynamic scoring point guards, and he's only 5'9". Exactly. So don't fall asleep. But to kind of piggybacking into that, though, how has his presence impacted Melo, if any way, like any specific changes that you see in Melo's game or even the team in general, if you want to tackle that? Uh, I mean, I think, you know, Melo's going to play his game. You know, but I mean, in terms of just uh, a guy, you know, th- th- these young guys, they're getting a chance to see somebody that's uh, going into the office, not complaining and just doing what he has to do. It doesn't matter what the role is. So that's good for the team to see. Just, you know, they, just, they sign him off the streets, essentially, and he's handling it as professional as possible. And he's thriving in that role. So that just, you know, that show that shows those young guys, you know, what, what real professionalism is and, you know, what it is to play your role and play it at the best. Right. Now, yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, one thing that I want to point out, like, I think having having a veteran point guard again, top three in MVP voting, he was he was at the top of the food chain amongst point guards at one point uh, and having a 20 year old all star point guard with, you know, potential through the roof. Six seven sees the sees the floor probably the most better than most guys in the league mm-hmm. right now. Uh, I think it's definitely helped out having another floor general that's you know again been through the gauntlet and seen the game from his own view and was a leader of a team at that mm-hmm. and the best player on his team at one point. Yes, sir. So like having that for a young point guard is, is huge, especially in a game against the Pelicans at home. Uh, I seen I just feel like Lamelo's been playing some of his best basketball now. I don't know if it's because he knows the playoffs are right there or what, but anyway, he made this amazing, like, just read to get get the switch with Jackson Hayes on him and, like, break him down. And usually Melo settles for these long, deep balls and stuff that if it goes in, great. But if it misses, it's like, 
JB's about to snap a clipboard mm-hmm. type of thing. But he took Jackson Hayes to the cup, didn't even give him a chance to react. He didn't take it all the way to the cup. Get the signature little patent floater that he likes to kill. Mm-hmm. So, like, just I feel like picking his spots has has gotten better. Yeah, I feel like since IT's been around, he's probably averaging close to 18 points a game, six rebounds, and nine assists, which is like, damn, like, this is why you're an all star. Yeah. And now he's doing it at a more efficient level because he's not turning the ball over at an alarming rate anymore. So, like, in general, like, IT's impact has been felt. And I, of course, like, when you bring in another season vet like Trez, in the middle of the season too, mm-hmm. like the Hornets, the Hornets did a great job just getting two great veteran acquisitions for little to nothing. Plugging in some guys that they needed, but yeah, they didn't have to spend too much money. Like you gave up Ish Smith for essentially for Trez, and then you got rid of your backup point guard. You're wondering if we're going to find another one, and you end up getting a better one. Arguably, yeah, arguably, yeah, well, not arguably, he is having a better effect. Yeah. So last segment for today, you know, it's how burst guys, we love to keep things sweet, short and to the point. What should the Hornets consider when it comes down to Gordon Hayward's future with the team? Because he's missed probably close to 30 games with an ankle injury. Uh, if you add that, you add some of the COVID games that he missed since since he had COVID-19 at one point and other little miscellaneous nicks and nups, bumps here and there. So, like, what do you think they should do with Hayward moving forward? Like, even when he gets healthy. Let's say he's able to play. The Hornets have about 10 to 11 games left. Let's say he's able to play in these these final stretches of games. Like, what do you do with him in the offseason type of thing? Well, if he's if he's good to play, you know, play him. But um, in terms of the offseason, I would take it, you know, just take it a day at a time. It's not like I'd be in a rush to get rid of him because when he was playing, they were really effective. Um, I mean – see what you could get for I wouldn't be I honestly wouldn't be actively trading him that much either um but I mean if I could get something for him I you know I'd pull the trigger but I mean I don't and I don't know how I don't know how great is I don't feel like his market is going to be too too big but uh because he's had some injuries but yeah if I'm the Hornets I'm in a pretty good position because I mean you're yeah he's he's a he's a large chunk of the salary but he's not a max, it's not like you're you have a max guy on your on your hands. So you still have some flexibility with him. And if you need to make moves, you you probably he probably the money will probably be in a situation where it, you know he'd be able to it'd be flexible with him staying there or being gone. So I I just take it a day at a time. I wouldn't be in a rush to really get rid of him. And you know, whenever he comes back, see how he meshes with the team. Because last time he was playing with the team, he was doing well. So Right. I don't think that's a pressing issue to get rid of Gordon Hayward unless they just want to dump the salary. Yeah, that, that, that's what I was literally about to tackle. I feel like the only reason they they would trade him or find a way to to move him would just because just be because they want to find somebody that maybe fits a little of the youth movement that yeah. they're trying to go towards or if they just want to free up some salary space. Because like you said, when when Gordon Hayward was healthy, this offense was in the top 10 for points per game. And their defense was top 10 in like net net efficiency rating, which is kind of crazy because like the Hornets aren't even known for being a lockdown type of team or nothing like that. But if you sit in the top 10 of defense and top 10 in offense, probably a playoff team and which they were sitting at the sitting at the fifth spot before before Hayward's injury and like all the other everybody else started just going through a rough patch of injuries themselves. So Gordon Hayward being a part of the team is definitely a plus. Oh, yeah more than it is a minus. And if you have a, a, another seasoned vet who's going to run run with those starters because Trez and IT are great, but they're bench players. Same thing with Kelly Uri, another vet, mm-hmm. but a bench player. But when you have one in the starting lineup, 
to actually settle guys down and just rein in the offense, similar to what we see IT do now for the second unit. Gordon Hayward was able to do that with the first unit yep. or whoever comes in with him because he's he's been in the league for six, seven plus years now. He knows how the game works. He knows exactly what James Rego wants to execute. And even though the point guard is an extension of the coach on the floor, if you're a smart player, you're an extension yeah, of the coach on the floor. That's true. Very true. So Gordon Hayward being out there, the offense looks looks the best that it has looked probably in the last two years. So with Hayward being gone or that like in the offseason, they're trying to figure out what to do with them. Like you said, I think I think it would be best to just wait it out. Yeah. If, if there is a potential deal for the only way I'd move them is if I know I'm going to get a big that can block shots and get rebounds. Because if I can't get that in free agency or in a trade or for whatever, Gordon Hayward's going to be a Hornet next year or probably will play out the rest of his contract because he's pretty damn good when he's available. <laughs> and 17 points might not seem like a lot to replace. You might think you can get that from, from a Miles Bridges and everybody else that's going to be a part of your team. But those are our very impactful 17 points because it's not forced shots. Mm-hmm. Not saying that those guys really, like Miles and LaMelo, forced their shots, but when you get it in the flow of the game, instead of just like seeking your hot zone and trying to get shots shots up and get them in and going, it looks a lot better for your team because the assists are going to go up and it just makes the coach's life a whole lot easier. Mm-hmm. So I'm all for keeping Gordon Hayward. You're all for keeping Gordon Hayward. Any closing shots that are parting shots you want to make? Because here, here's another little insight. They play the Nets on Sunday. The Nets have the eighth spot right now locked up, but the Hornets aren't too far behind in the ninth spot. But obviously, if you own the tiebreaker and you guys have the same record towards the end of the season, mm-hmm. you get that seat, which is huge because the Hornets holding the ninth seat. If they move up into the eighth, they have two chances. They'll play Toronto or Cleveland, whoever falls into that seventh spot. If they lose, they'll play the winner of the nine to ten game, which could be Brooklyn. And you're hoping you don't want to, you don't definitely don't want to play Brooklyn, mm-hmm. but. That's important. I, I'd much rather play Toronto, oh, yeah. you know, than, than playing Brooklyn. Katie and Kyrie. So how do, how do you feel about this potential game? What do you think the Hornets need to do come Sunday to – because obviously Kyrie's full-time again now, or at least in the state of New York, you can play in New York. You still can't play in Toronto. But Hornets, Nets matchup, what do the Hornets need to do to just take that game and just fluster the Nets, really? Two Hall of Famers. I think – what they're going to have to rely on is their depth. They're going to have to use all their bodies um, because the Nets' depth is lacking. They don't have – and they, they don't even have everybody. Ben Simmons still has yet to play. Um, yeah, so yeah, the Nets' depth is lacking. That's what hurt them. The You know, the game that we were watching against the Grizzlies. Right. So, yeah, that I mean, that's a glaring issue for them. So, I just say you run everybody. Um, is You really can't stop KD and Kyrie. They could get their buckets wherever. So just don't let the others get those sneaky buckets like the Bruce Browns of the world or, you know, whoever they have out there. And yeah, just and, yep, and bang on the glass. That's really, that's really, that's, I feel like that's what the game plan should be. Rely on, you know, rely on everybody playing team basketball, getting, you know, running those bodies and, you know, banging on the glass, play good defense. Yeah, that's, I think, I think the crashing the glass is a, it's the number one thing. Uh, watch since we're in March and watching a lot of March Madness ball. I uh, just watched the uh, the Duke and Texas Tech game, uh, and like the reason Duke won that game was like Jeremy Roach and Paulo Banchero were killing, yeah, but they were killing the offensive boards. They were getting a lot of second opportunities. 
if you limit the Nets to just one shot per possession, and if they like, you know, keep Claxton off the glass or Aldridge or whoever's trying to come crash, if PJ or whoever or Mason Plumley just get inside and just box out, team rebounding, don't leak out for the transition basket, even though that's what they excel in, I feel like you have a good shot to actually beat the Nets. Yeah. If KD and Kyrie drop 50, like, you know, combined, like, hey, so be it. If you guys still happen to win the game and you're you're plus plus the Nets and rebounding, plus five or plus ten rebounds over the Nets, I think that game's very winnable. Oh, yeah. And the multiple bodies thing is definitely important, though, because you know, you're going to have to chase both of those guys all over the court mm-hmm. for a whole 48 minutes. So, like, it's it's a scary matchup for any team. That That's why the Nets still are the heavy favorites in the East to it's make it out of the East. Yep. Yeah, to make it to the final. So, I mean, it's going to be a tall task. But Terry Rozier is a willing defender, fights through screens. LaMelo will be the person that I'm nervous about, but I just have him guard like a Bruce Brown or something like that and just play help D. Oh, yeah. You know, like that's, you know, you can't guard him one on one. Yeah, for sure. You just have to pray that they have a bad shooting. That's pretty much all it is. But yep. huge game, huge game for the Hornets. Hopefully they can capitalize there because, again, you don't want to play Brooklyn in a playing game. You would leave that to, whoever else has to deal with that. Yeah. So if you can get into the A spot and beat Toronto in that first game, which is a, a very reasonable thing you can do. Nick Nurse has coached his team up, but you can beat the Raptors. Yeah, I mean, they're not the most talented Raptors squad. So. Exactly. Well, guys, appreciate y'all for listening, man. This is High Burst. And you got Jerry D here with Big Pat. Come to you next week, all right?